So, so this is Chris Parker with whatismyapaddress.com on Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. That's it. Okay. Anytime you're ready. Okay. This is Chris Parker from whatismyipaddress.com on with Vroom Vroom Veer. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> that was good. Keep going. <laughs> this I is like Chris. It. This is Chris Parker with whatismyipaddress.com on Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. It's pretty damn close. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. It works for me. It works for me. <laughs> I'm right. a host. There you go. You're ex- executive producer. All right. I- I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Bonnie Roberts, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer, and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, we're, we're L.A. buddies, right? You're 424. <laughs> I'm 626. Nobody knows yes. what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Area codes. Area, Area codes. Code. Everybody yes. wants to be 310, but they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I first got my first cell phone in 20, 2003... There were no 310s anymore. And 424 was new, so I just grabbed a 626 knowing nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> and years later, I found out it was Alhambra, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's still okay. You know, you have a number. We'll keep it. We'll keep rolling with it. You know, it's all in my... It's, I'm keeping it now because it's on all my carts. <laughs> <laughs> Can't change it now. <laughs> Can't change it now. It's mine oh. forever. There you go. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what you got going on at the AmaniExperience.com. So at the Amani Experience, we have a bunch of things we're doing. We DJ events all over the world, whether it be domestically or internationally. Wow. We, we teach people how to DJ. It could be group classes, individuals. We create original music for videos and commercials. We also do remixes. And then we have an exciting newer team building activity where we can come into your office or your conference convention and do a great team building activity through the art of learning how to DJ. So that's kind of what we got going on right now. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> You're a busy di- dude. <laughs> we, we, we try to diversify. Yeah. yeah, but that's great. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you, when you think DJ, you know, it's like, okay, you play records at weddings, right? <laughs> you've got a little bit more going on than that. Good for you. And you've also got a podcast. So talk a little bit about uh, what, you, what, you, what you do in your podcast. So we have a podcast. You can find it. Just look up the Amani Experience podcast. And I interview people who used to work in corporate America, but have taken the leap to a more creative venture. So they could be anything from professional speakers, yoga instructors, actors, singers, you know, Pilates instructors, architects. So people who used to work for someone or a company, yeah. but, have take, but have taken the leap and they just tell their story and share their wisdom and advice. And, and I love it. I love that. That sounds like fun. Now, yeah, I'm kinda, yeah. now I kind of want to listen to your show. <laughs> Please listen. <laughs> I, I, I took the leap, but I just kind of went into retirement. I work occasionally now. That's All right. Yeah. All right. Well, it's all about taking the leap, though. If you can have the courage to go for it, oh, then my let's, God. let's talk. I did it. I did it. In 20, let's see here, 20, the end of 2010, 
I was going to personal development con- uh, conferences and telling everybody how much I hated my job. And, uh, and I quit. <laughs> it took nice. about, it took about two years to, right. I think I, I, the first conference I went to was in 2009. So almost two years. It was yeah. in, uh, December, 2010 is when I quit. And let right. me tell you, uh, walking away from the cushy job with the government after being in the, in the military for 20 years, um, everybody looks at you like you have two heads. It's like, uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. And what did, what did you do after you left? What did you do right after? Um, what I did right after was I went to school and finished a bachelor's degree first, but that only took like about a year and a half-ish, um, maybe a little less than that. And then after that, I was like, okay, I still have more GI Bill left. And I don't know if you know this, but they made the GI Bill so cool. So the GI Bill now not only pays like like almost 100% of my tuition, just depends on where you're at and what school you're going to. But if you get the right kind of school, they pay all your tuition. I got this housing stipend every month, which nice. in LA was paid my mortgage. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, and then you also got like this $1000 book stipend every year. So it was it was like the free ride from heaven. I mean right. and so I finished like um a psychology degree and I figured out that I didn't want a job in psychology, but it was fun, you know. I did that. That was cool. Um and then I went to massage school. Twice. (laughs) Okay. Okay. See, so this is almost like, you know, if I would have like kept going in massage, I could have been on your show, but I didn't like that as a job. So then, uh, yeah, then, you know, I kind of screwed around for a while and finally, uh, just decided that first I wanted to make money doing podcasting, but I think I figured out that I don't really have that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit that people talk about. Right, right. To me, it's just too much damn work. (laughs) (laughs) I've never wanted to do anything that much. (laughs) (laughs) It is hard work, but you know... Ooh, yes, it is. But, you know, first, you know, thank you for over 20 years of service. That's very admirable. So thank you for that. Hey, no and problem. Then, you know, I was fun. It was like mostly eating wings on beaches. So don't worry <laughs> <Okay>. about it. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. Yeah. And a credit to you for at least taking a risk and trying a change because nine out of 10 people won't even try a change. So credit to you as well. You know, I think it's in, I am around. I still when I was still living in L.A., I would be hanging out with dudes that I worked with. And occasionally I would run into like folks that I worked with but hadn't seen in years. And and they, they would have that look like, oh, man, he escaped. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll say this, you know, it, it can get lonely. Right. I mean, I don't know if you noticed that when when you first got out and you leave corporate and you start working from home. Did you do that? I think um, you actually just hit the nail on the head. Like entrepreneurship is a very, very lonely life, and it so is. you have you, you have, have to, to deal really with that. you have to find a tribe of people that you can consistently meet with and talk to. Because otherwise, you know, I have a dog, and right. I can talk to my dog, but she won't talk back. Right. You need some kind of conversation, <laughs> and so yeah, you're you're exactly right. It can be very lonely. It's isolating. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm going through that now because so I'm kind of like okay, th- my mode now is. I've got, you know, like a 
Air Force retirement check. We moved out of LA, so our expenses are a lot less. We've got the big nest egg that's sitting there going, <laughs> I'm ready. You know, I'm like, let's just cut all our expenses and just backpack it, honey. Let's just go. <laughs> let's be vagabonds. And she's yes. like, what are you, nuts? You know, <laughs> so I'm still working on her. <laughs> right, right. So that means she's going out and getting jobs and I'm going, hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe what you do is there's a book out. I'll look up the author. It's called Vagabonding. Have you heard of it? I have it. It's in my bookshelf. Ah, maybe give that to her. Say, read this, you know, and just yeah. and then after that, that'll help out. But yeah. yeah. Well, she loves possible. she loves travel, but she's just like that. In her mind, the only way to make money is a job, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and I get it. So, you know, whatever. I, you know, I either chip away at her and we do it sooner, or she's already committed to doing it in about 10 years. So okay. I can screw around for 10 years. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> it's all good. Just make sure you get some people around you. So you're I, not alone. Yes, I do. I need to run out. At, uh, I, I've, I've learned that lesson so many times now. I know I, I have to go walk around casinos and, you know, go to the base and hang out at the gym and, you know, things yeah. just to get out. You know, even okay. if it's just like go produce my my podcast at Starbucks, stuff yeah, like that. Definitely. There's yeah. also po- podcast meetups, conferences. Yeah, I should do things. those. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I should get on meetup.com and find things like uh, uh, vagabonding people or yeah. um, podcast groups, something like that. Good idea. Yeah. Well, you're, right. good, you're good at this. This, this should be your show. <laughs> you're, you're officially the co-host. <laughs> so I'm let, a connector. I'm a connector. You are. And I love it that you're asking me questions. So yeah, <laughs> I can see now that this show will be great because like if, guests ask me questions then it's just this back and forth right i'm I'm not really into the this is an interview and (laughs) i'm talking to amani roberts (laughs) that's less fun to me you know you hear those all the time so let's talk a little bit about uh you growing up so you grew up in dc and it says here on your bio you played the saxophone from the very from from a very young age the question is did you want to and did you like it or did your parents make you? <laughs> wow. Okay. So when I was baby in elementary school and early, no, early elementary school, my first instrument actually was the flute and I did not want to play the flute. But once I started playing the flute, I said, I'm going to transfer over to the saxophone. So I wanted to play the saxophone and um, I was pretty decent at the saxophone in high school. I was in the jazz band. We traveled to New Orleans for a competition. We won like state championships for being the best jazz band we produced an album wow holy cow we were really good i don't know if you look up there's a famous saxophone player called ari ambrose if you google him he made it pretty big and i was he was the first tenor i was second tenor there's also a keyboardist and a piano player named marcus johnson and he made it big as well so we had some talented people in our jazz band. So that was high school jazz band. I also was really big into soccer and basketball. I loved high school. I grew up right outside DC in Silver Spring, Maryland. I played a lot of soccer growing up. So I was like on the state team and, you know, went to college and played soccer there. So sports and music kind of, well, that's where I got my start. And then of course I had to go to school and get good grades too, but that was kind of high school. And then I went to college at Howard. I was a hospitality management major and I had a minor in finance and I was working. I've been working. I'm thinking now I started working when I was like 12 or 13, whether it was cutting lawns, work at the grocery store. So that kind of that's kind of my story through high school. I love it. 
So we're going to, I'm going to drill down on those things, but I'm going to tease a couple of things before we do that. So you told me that you had this story that involves the graveyard shift working at a hotel in Chicago. We're going to talk about that later. And we're also going to talk about this playing spades in college story later. But first, (laughs) (laughs) I want to drill down because, okay, so wow, congratulations on like, that's got to be weird having that sort of success so early in life. Um, Like in college, no, in high school, you're like recording artist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's kind of neat. You know, back then we didn't really know what we didn't know. Like we we didn't realize how lucky we were. First of all, right. We didn't we didn't realize that what we were doing was actually a big deal. We were just kind of in the moment, enjoying it, and you know, we were just trying to figure out when are we going to finish this recording so we can go call this girl that we like. You know, oh, when are we right, going to finish right, right. so we so we can go play play or not PlayStation back then? It was Nintendo, so we we really didn't have the perspective that we would have now on it. But looking back. We did some pretty, really, really good things in high school. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. So it, it, at, at the moment, in the moment, you're just like, this is another thing adult, adults are making me do. <laughs> Almost. I mean, you're into it, obviously. You wouldn't be there if you weren't into it. But I get it. It's like in high school, all you can think about is, you know, dating. <laughs> <laughs> that and sports. That and sports and video games. Right, right. What sort of video games were you playing? You were playing oh. Nintendo? Is that what so this you said? is? This is the original Nintendo. I'm a little older, so it would be like um, I'm trying to think of the football game. So it was a little bit after Ten Yard Fight, but it was like oh, I'm trying to think of the football game for that was the one we played a lot. We played a lot of like um, Zelda because you had to try to get through the maze. I remember Zelda. Sometime- I didn't play Zelda, so there's a big gulf of of games that I didn't play. So right. I I played when I was a kid. And then I didn't start playing again until like the late 90s, like 96, 97, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. So you're like more of the Sega kind of PlayStation, Sega Genesis. I actually got into like uh, games like Quake you okay. remember, and PC yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. so Quake, Unreal, all the, the first person shooters. Yeah, see, I was more to sports games. Like we had um, Blades of Steel, Double Dribble, maybe a little Street Fighter. I remember and, Street Fighter. Okay, and then and then wow. the football game was Tech Mobile and Super Tech Mobile. Wow. And then, and then from there we graduated to John Madden because it came Madden, out like ninety two. Everybody played in Madden. Yeah. Ninety three. Love Madden, and so yeah. yeah, so that's kind of the video game world we were in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you moved to California. So talk a little bit about. What what made you decide to move out to California? Right. So I started working for Marriott Hotels in 1993 in D.C. When I graduated from Howard in 1996, I moved to Atlanta and worked for Marriott during the 96 Olympics, downtown Atlanta. Then from there, oh, Atlanta's I moved, cool. Yeah, I liked Atlanta. And then moved to Chicago, worked for Courtyard by Marriott there. That's where the story about the um, night graveyard shift comes in. Right. After I left Chicago, I went down to Dallas, Texas, was general manager of a hotel at age 23. Holy cow. Wow. From there, I went and did sales in Miami, went to Miami, Florida, was in sales down there, then moved back to D.C., was in, back in D.C. I came back to D.C. August 20th, 2001. So then, as you know, 21 days later, right. 9-11 happened. I was in so Falls was, Church, Virginia. Okay, so yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I was I was at the Crystal Gateway Marriott. We were four blocks from the Pentagon. So yeah. people were fleeing the yeah. Pentagon to our hotel. We smelled wow. the smoke. It was crazy. I had I, a similar experience. Well, yeah. I mean, I was further away, 
but I know what you're talking about. That that's sort of like mass panic. Yes. And yes. we were uh, we are all just waiting for the bar to open. That's what. Well, okay. Sorry, I was waiting for the bar to open. <laughs> right. That was all I could think about. Was is there is a plane going to hit my building? And uh, and damn it, why won't they open the bar now? <laughs> right. It was right. early, you know. So yeah. yeah, it's ironic. It's ironic you say that because in a hotel, if you're a manager, we first have to take care of the guests. So during 9/11, we had to escort all the guests to the ballroom. We were sitting in the lobby wondering when is this fourth plane going to hit. Now eventually, this was the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. Right. But we were sitting in the ballroom waiting for the plane to hit. We started to have smoke come into our building. It was wow. crazy. That it is was crazy. nuts. You were really yeah. close. Wow. Yes. So um. Then six years later, 2007, I decided to move to the West Coast with Marriott. They moved me out to the West Coast. I never lived on the West Coast. So I want to try it out. And I came out to Los Angeles and I've been here ever since pretty much 11 years, a little over 11 years. Yeah. California is awesome. It is. It's it, pretty. <laughs> well, you know, whenever you leave California and then you come back, you're like, why the hell did I leave? The yeah. <laughs> I understand it's, that now. It's so much nicer. Well, I know why. So my my new position on California is is it's a great place to visit. I just don't want my tax home there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's a little expensive. You got to be creative. Yeah. You got to hustle. But the I sun like tax. It. Yes. Yeah. I, well, you know, I I think. If uh, if if um, L.A. or Southern California is part of your thing, you know, like you, you're it's part of your business. You know, it's like you're doing a lot of uh, work there. That's fine. Or say, like, if you're really into surfing, well, you can't surf in Vegas. Right. Right. <laughs> then it's worth it. You know, so yeah. I wasn't I wasn't doing it. I wasn't like clubbing or going to the beach. So everything that's in L.A. that I was interested in is also in Vegas. Except for beverages and more. I kind of miss BevMo. <laughs> <laughs> Just come on, come on a trip to the weekend and oh, do we, your shopping we and do. cruise on back. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have to, <laughs> we have to hit it every like mm, three, four months because my wife is from Japan. And okay. uh, so there's tons of Japanese stuff. And so yeah. it, she can do all of her shopping in like uh, one overnight trip. There you so go. We'll just go stay in San Pedro at, at the Air Force Base in uh, Fort MacArthur. Right. Super cheap. <laughs> yeah. And then she does all of her shopping uh, Friday night and Saturday. And then we drive back after lunch on Saturday. So, yeah. Done no traffic. Just, no traffic. Just, oh, yeah. Just, just cruise on home. I just, like it. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. So let's talk a little bit. Let's do this story that we've been teasing now about the grave sh- graveyard shift at a hotel in Chicago. Right, right. So that was when I was at the courtyard in Wooddale. And so the graveyard shift is like 11 p.m. to like 7 a.m. Uh, it's one of the quietest shifts in the hotel. You can get the most work done, but it's the craziest shift. And, you know, if you don't work at all the time, once in a while, it's kind of fun. This particular night was like a Friday night. I was there and it's like two o'clock in the morning and some three female guests come home and they're quite tipsy. And so they come up to the desk and one of the um, one of the young ladies is like, you know, you look kind of cute. Let me come talk to you. So she proceeds to climb over the front desk and chase me because I'm like, oh, no, you can't come back or you have to go. You have to go. And remember, for a smaller select service hotel, it's only me and then one other houseman. So there's only two of us managing the whole hotel at nighttime. It's crazy. Wow. And so she runs and she comes after me. I'm like, no, no, you have to leave. You have to leave. And remember, we have video cameras. 
And so these <laughs> and those, these cameras these cameras are capturing all this. So eventually, you know, I'm able to to skillfully get her to leave, and she's lingering. Then to find she goes to bed. And the funny part is that the next day I tell the staff what's you know what happened. So we get the overnight tape, and then we start to watch it. And when you look at it on tape, there's no sound. You just see a, a woman climbing over the desk and running after me, and I'm like running away, really scared. It's, <laughs> It's hilarious. It's hilarious. So little did I know that at my going away party for the hotel, up shows this video and everyone is just dying laughing. And so that's the funny story about the graveyard shift. It's, it still makes me laugh now. It's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you, you must be like uh, have some animal magnetism or something. I don't know what it was, but she, she could not be back there. We would have gotten in big trouble. So I was like, you have to leave. You know, you have to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> you, you. You ran away and, and you know, in va- valiantly. Yes, that's yes. funny. <laughs> When you see the video, it's even funnier because I like it pretty quick. I'm like, you got to go. And so it's just it's funny when you see it on video. It kind of reminds me of some of the stories that I had uh, experienced when I was driving for Lyft when, uh, you know, because all the money is to be made when you're driving around on Friday and Saturday night around the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, every once in a while I'll do Uber. I like I I drive for Uber every once in a while. And that's where you make your money is when you have the surges at nighttime from like one thirty to like two thirty. Right. That's right. Right. When the clubs close. Yes. Correct. So it's the most money, but it's also the riskiest because people are tipsy. They might get sick. So it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's not really a win win. I had a, a bucket, a blue bucket filled with water bottles. Right. And I just I I offered everybody a bottle of water, but it was really there to dump out the water and puke in the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. Yeah. Very wise. Very wise. Well, actually, I had this group of. I guess they were college students at UCLA, and I think we were I have no idea where the hell I was. I can't remember. But somewhere like like not Hollywood, but like, you know, requestable from Hollywood. Um, so they were at a club and then I picked them up and I brought them back to campus. Um, and little did I know, well, first off there was like one guy and then, and then it turns out to be like three dudes and three girls in my Honda Civic. Oh, wow. (laughs) Way too many people. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. There's, so one girl is on one dude's lap and then everybody else is in the back seat. So yeah. So I got two people next to me in the front and then like one, two, three, four, five people in the back seat. And somebody back there in the back seat, and I didn't know this, had a beer. And they spilled it all over the seat. Mm. Yeah. But I got a hundred I got a hundred bucks from Lyft. Good, good. Yeah. At least it'll pay for some of the uh cleaning of the car. Yes. Well, <laughs> I think I just I, I just used water and soap and Febreze and let it air out. So yeah. and, and and it didn't stink like beer anymore, but I still, you know, and then just pocketed the hundred bucks. Sorry, right. Lyft. <laughs> <laughs> but they charge the customer, you know, so yes. Lyft doesn't as, care. Yeah. As they should, as uh, they yeah. should. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't be that's just rude. so let's talk a little bit about this uh this myth nadir show because first off talk about what myth mirth and nadir mean got it so to tell you i'll give you a little context on the show growing up 
in D.C., one of my dreams was to have a late night show where people would call in and make love song dedications to their significant other. So growing up, I used to listen to Melvin Lindsay, W.H.U.R., and Glenn Hollis on Wash FM. The, com- the equivalent for the West Coast would be Art LeBeau. Art LeBeau. Art- that's who I was trying to think of. Yes, yeah. Art LeBeau's on the West Coast. So that, that was my dream. So I got to L.A., and I started to learn how to DJ, and I started this podcast back in 2008, so way wow. early in the podcast game. Yeah. And mirth, mirth is like the highest feeling, the best feeling you'll ever get from being loved. Like it's a state of mirth, and then the deer is kind of the lowest state, you know, where it's like, you know, you're sad, you're blue. And so, you know, most of the time when you're in a relationship or you're in love, you fall somewhere in the middle. Sometimes you could have the highest of the highs. Mm. Sometimes you could have the lowest of the lows. So I would have a dedication show, and i get people to either call up and leave a voicemail dedication or they'd email or tweet a dedication and I put them up on the show every week. The show eventually grew to where I started to interview artists. So I interviewed the Grammy winning artists like Melanie Fiona, Raheem Devon, Donnell Jones. And so I interviewed these artists and then you put it on the show, put their music on. And so that's how the show grew. I did the show for a little over four years and I stopped in 2012 because that's when I went to Scratch Academy. So I really had to focus on learning the DJ part of that. But that's Mirth Nadir. It's still up there. You can go to MirthNadir.com. You it's can there. see. Oh, OK. Yeah. You can see, like, I think there's about 186 episodes wow. that are there. Um, I did a couple episodes, like my favorite love songs from movies, top country love songs, and everything. So it was really creative. It was kind of ahead of this time. Mm. It was on it was on iTunes, and so I had a good audience, and you know we had a good four year run, and that's Mirth Nadir. I love it. That sounds like a blast. And you, you know, most most podcasts. I mean, how did you get people to show up to do dedications when you didn't have an audience? Or yeah, that, that, that was, was kind of tricky. <laughs> that was the most challenging part. You just yeah. have this voicemail, but a lot of times people don't want to put themselves out there. You know, it's different. Like, you know, unless you have a really big audience that people will call into a show, it's hard for people to put this out there. But I was able to manufacture and get a request here and there. And okay. then what really, what really helped was just the interviews with the artists. So that sometimes that would take the place of the dedications. Mm. And we just play the new songs and the old songs and mix them. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how that show evolved. That sounds like fun. Sounds yeah. like you enjoyed yourself, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, now I want to get to a, like a live radio station and do the Love Songs dedication on a live radio station. That's my next little goal. You know, the, there's going to be like, a, like you don't even have to be on radio anymore because there's so many streaming things now. Yes. yes. So you can yes. be live on YouTube. You can be live on Twitch. You can be live on you know, a gajillion things that I don't even know the names of. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. there's going to be uh, podcast hosting plans that'll let you post like three hour shows. Right. Yeah. Right. Right now it's kind of cost prohibitive for whatever reason, but yeah, like, um, like my shows I'm paying for like, uh, I think it's 250 megs on my media host. So that'll yeah. give me, you know, that's like a weekly show. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't mind paying that bill. But agreed, me yeah. either. <laughs> I, I, I would even take like you know local college station. I could do it. I could do something on Sirius XM. So oh yeah, I'm that'd just, be cool. Yeah, I'll put it out there. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna make it happen because that's yeah. Cool. I mean, like, start start on something free. You know, like yeah. one of the free uh, thingies, and then you know, I I knew there was a podcast group that I was hanging out with. I, you know, just as a guest, not as a guest, as a uh, fan, basically. But they would have their fans show up to parties on occasion. And uh, one of their shows got picked up on Sirius way back when. This was back yeah. in the, the first iteration of 
podcasting, like right. around 2004, 2005, 2006, that, that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, everybody's looking for programming yeah, <laughs> and you've got the credentials now. So I do. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're not just some dude in his house like me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So talk about how you, um, you partnered with cliff bar because that's not like the first thing I'd think of, you know? Right. So cliff bar, they do a lot of work with like, um, a lot of, marathons, races, bike races, triathlons. And so when I first started to DJ, I had a close friend who was friends with another person who managed kind of the field marketing efforts for Cliff Bar. And so every Super Bowl Sunday, they do a, they'd sponsor a five or a 10 K race here in Redondo beach, like the Redondo oh, beach 10 K. And, um, I was able to DJ on the course for Cliff Bar. They had like a Cliff Bar tent where they'd be cheering the runners. They give out Cliff Bars and little Cliff Bar shots. And so I first did that event. And from there, it grew to I would travel to like I do the L.A. Marathon. Cliff Bar was a sponsor. We go to Vegas and cross Vegas, that big bike race that happens uh, kind of outside the city. About 15 or 20,000 people attended. It's wow. like a, it's in a massive park the soccer fields they have this bike race that's like nationally internationally syndicated that's broadcast all over i would be djing on the course there and so just by you know a friend introducing me and then partnering with cliff bar and i would do like a lot of their races across the west coast whether it be la or vegas that's how i grew that partnership that sounds like fun oh it's fun you know yeah. la marathon is cool because you know that's like a major marathon that's one of the it's biggest big. marathons yeah, one of in, the biggest in, yeah yeah in north america so to be on the course there either at mile 21 or 18 <clears throat> it's just it's just really unique and it's fun as well too one year i remember i didn't go but my um i was in massage school and they were volunteering to do massage at the la marathon and it rained. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Were you there for that year? I yes, think it was yes. 2011 or 2012, one of the other. Yeah. yeah, so I was there. I've been there when it's rained. I've been there yeah. when it's been like very, very cold, like right. between 32 and 40 degrees. And Crazy. that's not very comfortable. With wind, that's not yeah. very comfortable. And then on the flip side, I've also been there when it's been quite warm, 80, yeah. 85 degrees. And so I've seen both extremes. So you just have to kind of either you bring a coat and gloves <laughs> yeah. or... Just adjust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got it. So let's get into this story about when you were playing spades in college, because that sounds uh, like fun. Yes. Spades. I love spades. I haven't played in a while, but I love spades. I learned how to play spades in high school. We would actually, um, we were on the yearbook staff. So, you know, when you do, when you're on the yearbook staff, the yearbook's pretty much finished midway through the year. You're just waiting for the, the, the draft to come in, do the some pictures. editing. Okay. Yeah. All that. And so we had lots of free time. So we would take double lunch and go play spades. So you fast forward, <laughs> we, we, we would play Good spades and we go, we go watch all my children. I love it. Erica Kane. <laughs> oh, my children. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, I remember those days. Oh yeah. It was great. It was great. So then fast forward to college and so I was on the college soccer team and a couple of us played spades and there was like this tournament between all of the athletic teams, whether the basketball, football team. And it was like a massive tournament, like the NCAA tournament, 64 teams. And so myself and my partner, we qualified and we made it all the way to the finals. And so we were good. We were good. We had the, we, we just played off each other. Well, we knew spades. And so we ended up playing these football players for the finals and they were, they were, let's say very confident. They that no way are these little soccer players going to beat us in spades. We got this. And so we ended up beating them, and we beat them pretty badly. And they were so angry 
at us that they started to chase us around the campus. Now, this was at nighttime, so I'm not sure if you know where D.C. is, but where Howard, Howard University is in, like, downtown D.C., the areas outside of it can be a little bit um, sketchy. sketchy. Mm. So we were... We were running through the campus at nighttime as they were chasing us because they could. They were just mad that we whipped them, and so <laughs> we we Good ran thing. all the way through campus. And there's a famous, there's a world famous McDonald's on Georgia Avenue that's part of the Howard University community. It's like right down to the bottom of the hill. It's a famous McDonald's. You've seen like music videos there. People rap about it in songs. Mm. And we went into that McDonald's and we were able to elude them by sneaking through the McDonald's, going over to the Howard Towers, and so. That's just a crazy story. It was funny because we were running <laughs> in like the middle of the night and we had to go to the McDonald's and like hide and sneak away from them. And that's my, that's these, my story about spades. These football players wanted to beat you up because you beat yes. them in spades. That's they hilarious. They were not happy because, you wow. know, if you ever played spades, not only like when you play and you're winning, then you kind of get to talking trash. Then you kind of like you'll like lick the playing card and slap it on your forehead to let them know that whatever they're playing is not going <laughs> They right. kind of talk trash, and so sure. we got into it because we knew we knew we had them, yeah. and they didn't. They did not appreciate that at all. They were not happy with <clears> us. <laughs> yeah, that kind of reminds me of playing cards. Like I was telling you, I had a friend that I played cards with in Hermosa Beach, and he was one of these guys. Have, have you ever played uh, what is it? Uh, Hold'em five card Hold'em. Okay, yes, I have. So uh, are you familiar with this idea? I'm, I played for a little while and then kind of got, I, I had enough, you know, but, and I never really got to the point where I was interested in getting good. I was just like enjoying the social kind of thing. I mean, you know, just like betting when I had cards and, or when I was in the, uh, when I had to, you know, when it was my turn to bet. Yes. Um, so like, um, you know, I would just make up these dumb rules. Like, if I ever have a jack, I'm going to go all in. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And just just to do, like, these stupid things, right? And occasionally, when you do a dumb thing like that, you win. Right? And, oh, my God. <laughs> There's the, there, one, of my, one of my good friends, the guy that I was there with, he, he had a, a good hand. And then later on, he explained to me the idea of a bad beat. Right? And I was like, well... What do you mean? You lost. <laughs> He's like, yeah. yeah, but you shouldn't have bet those cards. Those are dumb cards. And yeah. I'm like, you know what, though? Dumb cards can win, too. In, in Vegas, they would be very angry at you if you did that. They, the people would be like, you took my cards. You shouldn't have done that. People get very angry. <laughs> I know. <with> I know. <laughs> That's why I don't, I don't play in Vegas. Yeah. No, I don't play at all. Uh, because yeah. they just take it way too seriously. Like, yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. Like, those, like the blackjack tables. Forget yeah. it. Yes. Yes, don't do that there. People will be very no. angry with you. Yeah, and, and I, they carry and weapons. So and I don't want you to have to run through the casino trying to elude someone. So <laughs> you're right. Don't do what I did. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's talk a little bit about Scratch Academy DJ School. I didn't know they made DJ schools. So this sounds interesting. Yes, the Scratch Academy is a DJ school. So it started in New York. Jam Master Jay from Run DMC created the school. Unfortunately, he was murdered six months after he created the school, but they kept it going. They brought it out to Los Angeles campus. Now it's in uh, New York, L.A., Chicago, Miami, Philly, Atlanta, I want to say. So it's grown to wow. be that big. Wow. Um, and you go go there to the school, and it's intense. It's like getting your MBA and DJing. You go through six 
six different classes, seven different classes. They start you from the very beginning in terms of teaching you how to beat match. They go through troubleshooting. You get um, scratch class. You do... Then in the final two classes, you have to perform in front of your peers every week a certain set. You have to make sure you go from one person playing to another person playing. You switch computers out without the sound dropping. You get graded on your, your um, performances. You have to achieve a certain um, score. And it was, it, was inc- inc- it was very, very difficult. It was so difficult for me that, and I, as you can tell, I'm like a high achiever. I love to like do well, excel at everything I'm doing. And so you get there and it's out of a total of 400 points. You must get 320 or more to pass the class or you fail and you have to try again. So wow. this is the fi- final class. For my first time through, I ended up getting 318 out of 400, which means that I was two points away from passing and they did not pass me. And so... That was actually a a turning point in my DJ career because I had a decision to make. I could decide, do I want to stick this out and persevere and do this? Or do I want to, you know, figuratively take my ball and go home? And so I can see that there would be a lot of motivation to just take your ball and go home. (laughs) Screw these guys. What the hell do they know? Yes. But I. I swallowed my pride. I went back and did it again. And the thing is that there's no guarantee that just because you're repeating it a second time that you're going to do well. It's all about performances. It's all about how you perform in that day, in that time. And it's very difficult. Mm. It's challenging. Right. Like, you know, and so, you know, if you're say you have a group of six people playing, people are playing specific songs. Well, you can't play them. You have to be creative because they've, quote unquote, burned the song. Mm. So I ended up take, taking the class again, get, getting one of the highest scores ever. And so I passed. It was amazing. It was just a great feeling. Then I waited about 10 months and went back and did the same program, but for music production. And so I did the music production program. So it was about another year. Went through that. This time I passed it all on the first time. I did well. Yeah. And so that's my experience at Scratch Academy. But being there and getting exposed to people like me who wanted to DJ and were DJing. And keep in mind, like, I was one of the more older ones in class. Like, I was early 30s then. They were like 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 20-years-old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I was one of the older ones in the class. But I made some of my closest friends now in the class. And I still work with a lot of people that were my classmates. And that gave me such a strong foundation for DJing. I can't. It's just amazing. I run into issues and things every day that I learned in that class that I can use in that whole school. And it was just it's just a really strong foundation that I was able to get while I was there. And you met a bunch of people, too. Exactly. Yes. The networking thing is like huge. Yes. Invaluable. Invaluable. So did they have like a lot of people coming in guest instructing like people in the industry? Yeah, they had they had numerous famous DJs that would come in to speak to us, whether it be Jazzy Jeff, Questlove, anyone like that. But also the instructors like we had like Mr. Chalk, who's like from the world famous Beat Junkies. We had DJ Revolution, who's like a famous DJ from like the 80s, 90s, 200. We had amazing DJs there, you know, Rob Shot, D Fresh, Dosa, people who are like at the top of the DJ food chain yeah. that were that were there teaching you, training you, giving you lessons. Wow. And so the, the exposure, I mean, it was very rare, but it, it was it was amazing. DJ Hoppe, he runs the school. He's been like on the news here. He won Grammys or Emmys as well. And so just the exposure and the instructors there, um, I you know, I knew then that I was very fortunate to be around them. I was old enough to realize how lucky I had it then. So <laughs> right. Right, right, right. I, compared to when I was in the jazz band, but there it was just an amazing experience. I just it was just I was very fortunate. Yeah, it sounds like you had a blast too. Intense. Yes. But, but fun. You know, yeah, without any struggle, you know, there's no growth. And they definitely put you outside your comfort zone. And I grew right. a lot as a 
person and as a professional DJ there. And, you know, it's just been off and running since I left. So uh, before we wrap up, um, let's talk a little bit about this movie, The Defiant Ones, because I got a whole education. It was actually a mini documentary on HBO, right? Yes. And you've seen it, right? So Correct. What, what, what did, did you have like uh, firsthand knowledge of most of Dr. Dre's story already? I knew a little bit about Dr. Dre's story, okay. but what I didn't realize was just how much of a strong work ethic he has. Like he works very hard. Right, he's very right. dedicated to the craft. He He's a beast. He's an amazing, he's a legend right, in right. the music production and the hip hop game. And that just further confirmed it just with how he has a, a special ear for what works, right, what right, doesn't right. works. His, the way he samples kind of old school funk and like his G-Funk era is just, he was, he brought that out of nowhere. And so it's just it was just amazing his work ethic and then by him being open minded enough and Jimmy Ising being open enough to partner together, you know, for right. two people who are coming from kind of different places, that just shows you that, you know, you can't do it this thing alone. You need to partner with people, you need to collaborate. And that's just a perfect example of two people partnering that you wouldn't initially expect, but they just made the perfect partnership. Well, yeah. And the thing that I, I like the, uh, the way they start where they're making this deal with Apple and they're going to, yes. they're going to make $2 billion, I think something like that. Right. Yes. Uh, and, my first thought was good because, you know, everybody was like all the artists and producers and record company people were saying, oh, my God, it's over. The party's over. The record industry is over forever. Right. And and saying we're never going to sell records anymore the, the way it used to be. All probably true. Stop whining <laughs> and move on to the next thing. And yeah. that's what they did, you know. They, they were they were ahead of the curve. They were. Just, they were. The, the fact that Dr. Dre was able to sell his company, Beats by Dre, to Apple, that's just massive because that's never really happened to someone in the hip-hop world before. So for him to be able to do that and it's successful just shows other people that are in the game that it's possible. And that's all we need. All we need is just one example to show it's possible and then we can go for it too. So the fact that that happened just opened up our minds to, to just show what all the different things that are possible. So it it's going to have an impact for years to come. And it's, it's just, you know, we just owe a lot to Dr. Dre and his vision. Yeah. I, I like that moment where like, I think Jimmy has that, like he knows Dr. Dre has that, what you call that amazing ear. Right. And so yes. does Jimmy. Right. And yes. they're like, all of these headphones are shit. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, I didn't until that moment, I, I just was thoroughly convinced that $400 was way too much to pay for a set of headphones because you can just go buy them right for 40 bucks or something. And in a, in a way I still believe that at least for me, right? For me, I'm using them to do like right now I'm wearing headphones, but the reason why I'm, I don't really care what it sounds like. It's just so that, you know, your voice doesn't get into this microphone. <laughs> it's just functional, right? right? It doesn't yeah. really matter that much what it sounds like, but when I saw that show, I was like, oh, I'm probably missing a lot on cheap yes. headphones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes, and you are. when it's like when it's your job, right? Like if you're a DJ, you can't afford to be missing that because it's no. it's got to sound perfect. 
Yeah, DJ or music producer, <clears throat> have have you right. tried any of the Beats by Dre phones? Have you tried any of them? No, good God, no. I, I would suggest, you know, go to like a Best Buy where they can let you try them out or whatever. Try out. There's other brands that are even more expensive that are even better and see the difference in what you're hearing. Yeah. And then maybe maybe that might convince you to invest in a pair of headphones and see how your right. your your enjoyment of music will continue so will grow get, even more. Are you on the uh, the best the best is the best or are you kind of the middle of the road guy because obviously you're going to get something better than a $40 I'm kind of I'm kind of middle of the road, heading towards the best of the best. I use a lot of like Pioneer headphones, okay, and and so those. There's some really high brands out there, and so I'm continuing to test them out and see. But I definitely will invest in some headphones. It's a it's a wise investment. Yeah, and especially when it's you know the sound is what you're doing. Yes. So I I get it. It took me a while. You know, I was just, I was coming at it from a, oh, they're just ripping off consumers point of view. And, you know, n- that's not what's happening. <laughs> nope. It's no, not a rip no, off. It's, no, it's, ex- it's, it's actually it's, sounds better. <laughs> yes. It's an excellent value. So invest. Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> hey, this has been a blast. So talk a little bit more about uh, what, how people can get in touch with you at the AmaniExperience.com. Yes, yeah, so all my tags on social are just Amani Experience. My name is A, M is in Mary, A, N is in Nancy, I, the word experience. That's on Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all the sites there. Yeah, it's a um, pretty can, uh, unusual name, so. Yeah, thank you. You're thank the you. only one on Skype. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how you can reach me. Uh, my website is amaniexperience.com. If you are no one who's looking for a really unique team building activity, the DJ team building, we call it Wheels of Steel by the Amani Experience. It's fun. It's different. So, I, you know, reach out to me if you have a question about that. I'd love to share that and bring that, you know, worldwide. And that's kind of all the things we're working on. It sounds like you're having fun. Definitely, yeah. You're having every a blast, day. Yes. <laughs> and you're yes, not sir. you're not working in a hotel anymore. So good for you. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, man. This has been fun, and uh, have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.